You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin tonight with a warning from Vancouver police about a high-risk sex offender who's living in the city now. Brian Abrosimo poses a serious risk to women and girls. Catherine Urquhart has more on his troubling history and the measures in place to keep the public safe. Brian Abrosimo is an extremely violent, high-risk sex offender. Now he's being released, and Vancouver police are so concerned he'll reoffend, they're issuing an Brian urgent Abrosimo. warning to the public. In my opinion, if we're putting out a public warning, uh, He's one of the worst. Someone who sexually assaults an 11-year-old child. Um, I don't think there's anything worse that can be out there. Just wondering if you're aware of the 11-year-old girl that was assaulted yesterday. A massive manhunt was launched in 2004 after Abrosimo used his van to knock down two girls riding their bikes in Langley. He then kidnapped one of them, driving the 11-year-old to Surrey and sexually assaulting her. She later escaped, running to a nearby house. She had a piece of rope, not rope, plastic around her neck. Days later, Abrosimo was arrested at his home in Surrey. I can say that he is known to police uh, insofar as his background. Abrosimo was convicted of sexual assault, kidnapping, unlawful confinement, assault with a weapon, sexual assault with a weapon, and forcible confinement. Sentenced to 14 years. He was also convicted of violently assaulting a sex trade worker. Now near the end of his 14-year sentence for assaulting the little girl, he's being released to a halfway house. He'll be monitored by a parole officer and required to wear an electronic monitoring bracelet. Conditions also include that he not consume or purchase alcohol and drugs, not associate with anyone involved in criminal activity or substance misuse, not be in the presence of females under 18 or near places children congregate. He's to have no contact with his victims or their families, and he's not allowed in Abbotsford, Langley, or Vancouver Island. Anyone sees or knows of a Brissimo violating any of these conditions is asked to call 911 immediately. Abrosimo is described as 5'10 and 240 pounds, with grey shaved hair, hazel eyes, a grey moustache, and a goatee. Police aren't saying if they'll be doing surveillance on the sex offender, nor are they revealing exactly where he'll be living. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Fears of a complete bus and sea bus shutdown for three days next week have transit users scrambling to figure out how they're going to get where they need to go. Jill Bennett has more on the potential impact. And Jill, it's not just students with concerns. It's not, Chris. So with that strike looming, that full system shut down, many people who view transit as a lifeline are extremely stressed. I'm scared. On one to ten, eleven. I'm there. Vincent Bull depends on a home care worker three to four hours every day, helping him out of bed, to the washroom, things a lot of people take for granted. Many of his workers rely on transit to reach him. Tuesday night, the worker's going to come in. Do her, do her, uh, what's uh, on her, on the care plan, and then she leaves. Wednesday morning, diddly. He also and depends on the bus to get around. I'm trying to squeeze everything into what I need before the strike, because once the strike happens, 
I can't go anywhere. For some of our clients, our community health workers are the only people they see per day to get their care that they need. So it's, it's, it's not going to be good. Many people with disabilities depend on buses to get to work and to medical appointments, and they have limited other options. A full stoppage of bus service will make life extremely difficult. People think that it's not really an issue because they assume that people with disabilities are using like HandyDart, which is a great service. But there are many more people that actually use the regular bus service or use both. Dewar says if she has to walk to work, she could, but it would take about an hour each way on crutches. Many have already faced challenges because of the overtime bans by maintenance workers and bus drivers, and they are anxious with a full strike looming. A taxi ride could be good if it's, you know, one time, but if it's like three days and people have to go to work and from work, it's, it's not affordable. Nobody will be able to afford that. So that's why this um, possible um, strike is quite stressful for everybody. Another group stressed out about a possible bus system shutdown, post-secondary students. This first-year student at SFU started a Facebook page to organize carpool trips to and from campus. There will be drivers that will be saying that we are driving from here at this time and, and then people will message them individually and arrange a place to meet for them to take them up the mountain. All right, Jill, uh, so far the disruptions have been bus and sea bus related, but today we got the results of a strike vote involving SkyTrain workers, and they are overwhelmingly in favor of job action too. 96.8% voted in favor of job action. But Chris, the good news there is that's not imminent. They do have mediated talks scheduled. Those talks are set to start up next week, November 28th. And there are several sessions and both sides saying they would like to reach a negotiated settlement at the table with the help of a mediator. So if there was to be job action with SkyTrain, that likely wouldn't happen until mid-December. The best case scenario, obviously, they reach a deal. So a bit of good news in the ongoing labor disputes dealing with transit. Chris? No doubt. Okay, thanks, Jill. All right, let's bring in Keith Baldry for more on this. Keith, the Premier was questioned today about the government's mm -hmm. involvement, and once again, he's showing no appetite for getting involved at this point. Not, not at all, uh, Sophie. Today, it is weekly media availability. He was pressed several times by reporters, including myself, uh, to further expand on his remarks a couple of weeks ago about comparing the, referring to the 2001 strike, which lasted four months, saying that type of strike is not going to happen on his watch. Uh, today, he says, basically, the, the deal has to be hammered out at the negotiating table. The legislature is not the place to solve this. It has to be at, at the table. And he wants the, both sides to work over the weekend to reach a deal before uh, Wednesday's deadline. Here's the Premier. Never has there been a labour dispute resolved in question period. Never has there been a labour dispute resolved in a scrum uh, with the media. So I'm hopeful that the parties, the people uh, that have seen, as I said, a 20% increase in ridership over the past three years, strains on the system, a lack of investment in infrastructure, capital uh, over the past number of years. There's a whole bunch of stuff at play with respect to transit. Uh, key to that is making sure the employer and the union have a working understanding of where they can get to together. And, and that's best done at the bargaining table. Well, neither side is showing any sign that they're going back to that bargaining table mm -hmm. this weekend, Keith, no matter what the premier wants. But yeah. there were also question, questions to John Horgan and to his transportation minister about possibly fast tracking ride hailing uh, in case there is a full work stoppage. What was the response to that? 
Yeah, don't get your hopes up on that front, Sophie. Both Claire Trevin and the Premier pointed out uh, ride-hailing is in the hands of the Passenger Transportation Board, which is viewed as an independent uh, entity, supposedly free from government pressure. So both of them making it clear uh, that's not an option. Ride-hailing will not be in place before Wednesday. In any event, I think that's sort of an apples and oranges thing as well, because there's 350,000 people who take transit every day. I don't think Uber is going to provide that level of service anywhere near that level of service when it's up and running, even on a fully uh, basis in Metro Vancouver. So fingers crossed they can get a deal before Wednesday. Mm -hmm. All right. Thanks for that. Keith Baldry reporting. A shooting at a rural property in Langley early this morning prompted a large response by RCMP and ERT members. It happened at this home at 272nd Street and 48th Avenue just before 6 a.m. Police will only say the incident appears to be targeted and the 47-year-old man shot suffered non-life-threatening injuries. Staying in Langley, a story of tragedy and heroism tonight in connection with an early morning house fire. As Aaron MacArthur reports, one man lost his life, but several others who live in the home likely got out because of that man's bravery. The fire spread so fast, not everyone was able to get out. By the time crews arrived on scene, they could only manage to set up a defensive perimeter to stop the flames from spreading. Uh, the, the residents inside um, alerted themselves about uh, the fire to, to get out. I'm not sure if there was uh, working smoke alarms in here or not. The fire sparked in one of the suites in the multi-family rental home near 74B Avenue and 206th Street. The man inside that unit managed to alert his neighbors, but for some reason went back inside his home. He never made it back out. I'm not sure if he was trying to escape or put the fire out, but uh, yeah, he... He definitely let them know, and they got out because of it. Yeah, so. A hero. Yeah, yeah, he is he's a hero. Two people had to jump from the second story of the home to get away from the fire. One man was taken to hospital and released. Another woman remains at Royal Columbian with more serious injuries. Uh, Shannon, who broke a couple of vertebrae, jumping from the top window there. And I guess the glass had already exploded, so she landed in glass and whatnot. Witnesses say the dead man suffered from COPD and was on a constant supply of oxygen. The tanks may have contributed to how fast this fire spread. I'm not 100% sure that those tanks uh, exploded and then the rest of it just went up. It will be some time before a cause can be determined. The Langley Fire Department, RCMP and Coroner all investigating. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Right now, though, tis the season for shopping, and every year, more and more of us do it online. Thieves know it, and tonight, a good reminder about porch pirates. They steal packages left at the front door when no one is home. But as Ted Trenecki reports, the alleged culprit behind one recent theft left even the homeowner shocked. You'll see he looks down the street to see if anyone's looking. If you were a porch pirate, someone who steals delivered packages, this might be the perfect way to get away with it in broad daylight with witnesses nearby. Who would think anything other than he needed a signature so was taking the package back to his van? But that may not be what's happening here. You can see him kind of back his head back. He looks down the street, seeing if anyone's watching, and then he walks down these steps, walks back to his truck, does another glance, making sure no one's looking, and then he takes off. On Sunday, the homeowner receives that ping. A text message with a photo showing his package delivered on his doorstep. Seconds later, the homeowner's father-in-law can be seen arriving in his little smart car. I phoned my father-in-law who lives with us and uh, asked him to grab it from the front door because he was at home. Yeah. 
and he went to the door and it was gone. That's when he decided to review his security camera recordings. He has multiple cameras that he installed only about six months ago. He then called Amazon and Vancouver Police. They said unless there's a long string of the same style of thieving because the dollar value wasn't there, it wasn't worth investigating any further. No one would be suspecting that the guy that's doing the delivery is also going to grab the, bay, the parcel at the same time. In a statement, VPD said it did investigate this incident on November the 18th. The complainant was refunded their money and Amazon is aware of the situation. Amazon did return our call today saying it is still investigating and would also like to see this security video. None of these allegations have been proven in a court of law. Ted Schnecke, Global News. Well, a recently commissioned survey by FedEx on porch pirates found out of 1,500 Canadians asked, one in four reported having a package stolen. Survey also found 70% of Canadians worry about package theft and one in 10 simply don't shop online for that very reason. New challenge facing health authorities trying to reduce the number of people who vape. It's a price war. Manufacturers have cut the cost of some e-cigarette products by at least half of what they were this summer. And as Nadia Stewart reports, doctors say it makes vaping even more tempting than ever. As the province introduces new rules around vaping aimed at curbing interest amongst BC's youth, there are still concerns the new rules do not go far enough. It looks like uh, the manufacturers have dropped price from anywhere from uh, 33% up to 75% in, in recent months. Dr. Stuart Kreisman is with Physicians for Smoke-Free Canada. The group says vape product manufacturers are lowering their prices, and they say that move is attracting a younger clientele. The hypothesis is that they're intentionally taking a loss in order to build their market, and specifically the youth market, uh, develop a loyal customer base, by loyal I mean addicted, and lead to the nicotine addiction of the next generation. Kreisman and his colleagues call it a vaping price war. They say four companies selling the products in convenience stores have significantly dropped their prices. For example, Vipe Epod launched in January at a cost of $40. It's now available in some convenience stores in Canada for $10 and on the company's website for $8.99. Demand, especially among youth, is especially price sensitive. It's also a concern for store owners. Vapor Dome store manager Sherman Brown says the less expensive products are problematic for many reasons. Which also brings up other health concerns because you buy cheaper products, you're also inhaling off of cheaper quality materials. Brown says they set their prices higher, targeting a more mature clientele. They also ask for ID. The province is hiking the provincial sales tax on vaping products up from 7 to 20 percent. But Kreisman says that is not high enough. They would need 75 percent just to equal the cost of a pack of cigarettes, and I would like to see them go beyond that. The province says it's up to the federal government if they'd like to set a minimum price on vaping products. Nadia Stork, Global News. A warning today from ICBC and the RCMP as we head into the winter driving season. The main, main message is to slow down. Snow has already come to many parts of the province and it's on its way for southwestern BC eventually. There are simple ways to stay safe, including removing built-up snow from your vehicle, ensuring you have proper tires, and increasing your following distance. Also, don't forget to pack an emergency kit. What we see at ICBC is a significant crashes in December over October as the weather changes. It's an 87% increase. 
from December crashes and October crashes. So when the weather changes, we want people to be prepared. Good advice. Mm -hmm. It is the time of year when holiday events start to ramp up. That's right. And if you're looking for a way to get into the spirit, meteorologist Christy Gordon has a preview of the Aurora Winter Festival that's at the PNE. Christy, what's going on down there? Well, this is the start, I would say, of a new Christmas tradition here, Chris and Soph. Uh, it's the Aurora Winter Festival here at the Peony for the first time, and I can't wait to bring my kids down here because there's so much to see and do. Not only are these amazing light displays like you see here behind me with Santa and his sleigh, well, I guess Santa's not in there, but also there's magic behind all of the lights here. And this is Queen Thera and uh, Rivera, the warrior elf. And uh, Queen Thera, tell us about the magic behind these light displays. Yes, well, this is the Aurora Kingdom, and I've been queen of the Aurora Kingdom for about 3,000 years or so, so a long time running, and we're really excited to welcome everyone, the Vancouver community here, and uh, excited to have you see a few of my other friends roaming these grounds as well. Lots of different characters. Tell us what else, uh, Warrior Elf, what else can families do? Well, for the more adventurous spirits, we have a frozen river to skate on, a tube park to slide on, and all sorts of magical rides. And lots of food and hot chocolate as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much, ladies. Uh, so, tons of fun down here. It runs right through until January 5th. You can get tickets online at aurorawinterfestival.com slash Vancouver, of course. All right, back to you guys. We'll see you in a bit. All right, thanks, Christy. Just get over yourselves. Get down to work. Help your residents. Get stuff built. Use this as an opportunity. That's Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart speaking in Ottawa today, urging other Western leaders to, quote, get over themselves and work with the Trudeau government. After frosty meetings with the premiers of Alberta and Saskatchewan recently, the Prime Minister found much warmer receptions today from the mayors of Vancouver and Calgary. David Aiken reports. Calgary Mayor Nahed Nenshi was first, and he wasted no time in getting to the point. We've gone through a jarring dislocation from the lowest unemployment rate in the country to the highest in 18 months. Trudeau's new cabinet, just unveiled Wednesday, has no one in it from Alberta or Saskatchewan, so Trudeau is looking to other politicians in those provinces to be his partner. Uh, obviously some real, uh, uh, real challenges uh, facing uh, communities uh, across Alberta, particularly Calgary, uh, but uh, as you know, the federal government is very much there to, uh, to be a partner. During their meeting, Nenshi told Trudeau that rising feelings of Western alienation cannot be dismissed and need to be addressed. But there has to be a conversation not just about changing the narrative, which is important, but also about very real action on the part of the federal government to help everyone around the, pro around the country understand that the country doesn't succeed if the West doesn't succeed. All right. After Nenshi, Trudeau welcomed Vancouver's mayor, Kennedy Stewart. I, I just get upset when people say Western alienation because British Columbia, what we want to do is work with this government. We want to build transit. We want to build housing. I just don't, you know, I feel like it's, we're being a little bit hijacked by kind of Alberta's agenda. And in British Columbia, we want to uh, get these things rolling. Stewart is angling for continued federal help with housing, public transit, the opioid crisis. And Stewart worries that talk of Western alienation is getting in the way of work on those issues. There, So I'm so excited to get down to work. I know you are too. And, and so the takeaway for the Prime Minister after his morning meetings with the mayors is pretty clear. 
Trudeau and his new cabinet are going to have their hands full addressing very real, but very different, regional concerns. David Aiken, Global News, Ottawa. More potentially damaging testimony today at the impeachment inquiry in Washington. It caps a dramatic week of hearings, all part of a political scandal that has divided a nation. Here's our report from NBC News. Is your right hand. I will begin by... For what could be the last time in the Intelligence Committee's impeachment inquiry hearings, two key witnesses step forward to piece together what happened in Ukraine and what did not. Fiona Hill, President Trump's former top Russia expert, forcefully discrediting a Republican conspiracy theory that Ukraine, not Russia, interfered in the 2016 election. This is a fictional narrative that has been perpetrated and propagated by the Russian security services themselves. That narrative is part of what President Trump wanted Ukraine to investigate, along with Joe Biden and his son. Today, State Department official David Holmes testifying he actually heard the president say what he wanted, recalling how he overheard a phone call between President Trump and his European Union ambassador, Gordon Sondland. It was quite loud uh, when the president came on, quite distinctive. Holmes says he could hear President Trump asking whether Ukraine's president would announce the investigations. He said, oh, yeah, he's going to do it. Uh, He'll do anything you ask. Afterward, Holmes asked Sondland what President Trump thought of Ukraine. Ambassador Sondland stated that the president only cares about big stuff, big stuff that benefits the president, like the Biden investigation. In a dramatic moment, Fiona Hill described having a confrontation with Ambassador Sondland over the push for investigations. He was being involved in a domestic political errand. And we were being involved in national security. I was irritated with him and angry with him that he wasn't fully coordinating. And I did say to him, Ambassador Sondland, Gordon, I think this is all going to blow up. And here we are. President Trump insists he did nothing wrong, tweeting today that Democrats leading the impeachment inquiry are human scum. With the partisan divide only growing sharper, Hill warns this is just what Russia wants. Our nation is being torn apart. Truth is questioned. And while the impeachment inquiry looks back, Hill urging lawmakers to look forward to guard against the same interference in 2020. Alice Barr, NBC News, Washington. Some scary moments today as witnesses spotted a 777 passenger jet, 777, normally called a 777, (laughs) passenger jet in trouble just after takeoff. I've never seen fire come out of an airplane before. The plane bound for Manila this morning when it suffered engine failure shortly after taking off from Los Angeles. It made an emergency landing back at the airport. Thankfully, there was no active fire or flames visible upon landing. And all 342 passengers and 18 crew members on board were safe and were able to disembark from the aircraft. And take a look at this. A close call for another passenger jet as it was landing in Christchurch, New Zealand. A pair of lightning bolts could be seen striking the ground very near the Emirates Airbus A380 as it was taxiing off the runway. The plane wasn't directly hit and there were no reported injuries. The six-hour storm featured more than 1,500 lightning strikes. 
All right, an SFU study has found that a simple device can go a long way toward helping save the lives of B.C. seniors. Researchers looked at more than 3,500 falls in Fraser Health long-term care facilities over a one-year period and found a threefold decrease in hip fractures for those who were wearing hip protectors. Another encouraging find was that 60% of these people who fell were wearing the devices. Hip fractures can have serious consequences for the elderly, including complications that can lead to death. 25 to 30 percent of, uh, of uh, residents that suffer a hip fracture will die within a year of the, of the fracture. And on top of that, we also have all the, the, the quality of life, and loss of independence, um, higher needs from, from the staff and support. Some shocking findings today of just how big a problem microplastics are in our oceans. Seven beluga whales in Canada's Arctic were examined in a study by Vancouver-based OceanWise in conjunction with the Department of Fisheries and Oceans, SFU, and Inuit hunters. Researchers found they all had plastic polymer types in their systems, nearly half being polyester. Researchers suspect the whales are ingesting these microplastics through the fish and invertebrates that they feed on. And it turns out British Columbians are on board with a move to eliminate single-use plastics. That's right. A new survey shows a strong majority are willing to do their part to protect the environment. But as Linda Aylesworth tells us, the shift may be easier said than done. We know single-use plastics are bad for the environment, the ocean in particular. And clearly, the federal government knows we know. Because the Liberals made a campaign pledge back in June to ban them from coast to coast by 2021. We wanted to find out if there, if there was universal support for the ban on plastics. We is the BC-based market research company Insights West, which posed the question to nearly 1,700 British Columbians. Their answers... I'm totally up for that. Oh, I have no problem with it. Sure. Oh, of course. 81% said they support a national ban. And that's a massive number. You know, if you look at all public opinion polling that we've done over a 10-year period, uh, this is about the highest level of public support on any initiative we've ever covered. There was another question on the survey. What are you willing to do personally in your household to actually accomplish that? It's a lot harder than it seems. Well, I take my bottle of water. <laughs> I, I don't need a straw. I bring my own bag. 71% of British Columbians say they frequently bring their own bags. 68% of us bring reusable water bottles. And then another 56% are using recyclable or reusable mugs. So those are the easy ones. The harder ones, things like takeout food. 58% order it. We've got roast chicken and mashed potatoes for lunch. The packaging may be paper, but the cutlery is plastic. This is what they had, so we had to go with it. Clearly, we'll need more sustainable alternatives, among other things, to help us through what could be a rocky transition. But it would seem we're up to the challenge. It's our hope in polls like this where you see such a high level of support that it would encourage you know, people like the federal government or the provincial government to actually go ahead and make the change and not be afraid of any consumer backlash. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. A fiery brush with death for a Connecticut man. This amazing video shows a car exploding into flames. What caused the blast and how the driver was able to survive with no long-term injuries right after Christie's weather. 
All right, Christy Gordon is at the PNE tonight for Aurora. Opens to the public tomorrow, but we can see it's beautiful and ready for uh, the crowds, the holiday crowds, Christy. Yes, you can come down, get a hot chocolate, roam around the colorful lights, and uh, there's all sorts of fun. I like the idea of the tube park, too. Fun for uh, all kids of all ages, really. Now, yeah, as you mentioned, open to the public tomorrow, right through till January 5th. Lots of time, but get your tickets online. I urge you to do that. Now, it's cold out here. A lot of frost, and we'll see it again tomorrow, but we remember I showed you the frost photos from yesterday in Prince George, the soft rhyme? Well, more photos came in today as another night of frost happened in that area. It's amazing, the artwork that Mother Nature creates. Uh, so look at some of these images. Thank you to Lisa for sharing us these photos with us and we had some fall streak holes. I love the fact that people are actually emailing these photos in with the actual name because we talked about them before. Fall streak holes, if you're wondering, all you have to do is go to our website, search on our website fall streak hole and you'll get a full explanation of what those crazy little holes are or big holes are in the sky and that was spotted over Vancouver Island. So tonight it's going to be cold. North coast will start to warm up but all other areas below freezing. The north coast warming up because of the system that's rolling in and we're going to see that late tomorrow evening. So increasing cloud tomorrow afternoon for the south coast, all of the rain across the north and central coast. Another day of sunshine in the south but you'll see the change on Saturday as will we. It's going to be a wet Saturday. The good news is we'll see a bit of sunshine on Sunday. Next week, do you see my little snow question mark there? Yes, it's going to get cold and there is moisture. So we're talking about the possibility of snow over higher terrain still days away. So don't get too excited but I just urge you to be aware of it and don't you feel like it was just yesterday that I was doing the Halloween tour of haunted houses now here we are uh, out at uh, Christmas festivals but it sure is nice Oh, life is just Back racing past us, isn't it? All right, thanks very much. Thanks very much, like Christy. The red Olympic mitts she's wearing. Oh, <clears throat> All right, when you see this next video, you'll be amazed that the driver wasn't burnt to a crisp. A car is seen pulling up to a rail crossing in Stafford, Connecticut earlier this month when that happened, a fiery explosion inside. The vehicle is being consumed by flames when passersby rush to pull the driver to safety. The explosion was caused by the combination of a lit cigarette and a spilled gas can. There was a little hump, and that's when the gas can went over, and I could hear it like oozing out, going tush, tush, tush. And like I said, I had a cigarette going. So I pulled over to the side of the road, um, jumped out, and the door was already starting to open of the car. I went to grab him, and he was stuck in his seatbelt. So I had to reach in and unbuckle him and then pull him out. Little, who is still recovering from minor burns to his face and hands, joked he is so thankful that he hugged and wanted to kiss his rescuer, but in the end just shook his hand. Sad news tonight for anyone who's ever strapped on a snowboard. The visionary who brought them to the masses has died. Jake Burton Carpenter passed away peacefully in Burlington, Vermont last night. The 65-year-old revealed earlier this month that his testicular cancer had returned. Carpenter founded Burton Snowboards in 1977. He was able to turn snowboarding into an Olympic showpiece and, of course, a billion-dollar business after almost getting run off the mountains with his contraption That's right. by people who loved skiing yeah. back in the day. But, wow, was he ever right. And it wasn't even that long ago. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay, we'll talk a little Canucks.
taking on Nashville tonight. Uh, second game of a six-game road trip. Now, I know the Canucks are having a bad November, but it's not the ugliest November in the NHL. Nashville has actually been worse this month than the Vancouver Canucks. In fact, the Predators are the worst team in the league so far in November. The uh, Canucks beat them last week in Vancouver tonight. As we mentioned, they get a chance to make it two straight against the Preds this season in Nashville. And Zach McEwen gets his first game of the year with the Canucks. All right, Tim Schaller was one of those Canucks who turned into a goal scorer in October. Well, in November, he's back being Tim Schaller. He's alone in front, but Pecorine puts the glove on it and keeps it scoreless. Local boy Ryan Johansson. Too many Canucks are over on the one side of the ice. He has a breakaway down the right side, makes the move on Markstrom and scores the goal that gives the Predators in the Colonel Mustard uniforms the one nothing lead. But then the Canucks power play shows up in a big way. First of all, it's Elias Pettersson. Gets a little help here. This one actually bounces in off Matthias Ekholm's stick right there. So that makes it 1-1. Then the next time the Canucks got a power play, they scored again. And it was another deflection, although this time the Canucks deflected it. Tyler Grayovac tipping in this shot, and that made it 2-1. So two for two on the power play for the Canucks. And gets it by Pecorini, and look at that Tanner Pearson in front. Power play now for Nashville, and because... Tanner Pearson doesn't have a stick. It's basically a five-on-three, and Kelly Yarncroft will score to make it 2-2. And then another power play goal for Vancouver. So they went three for three. JT Miller, and this one also deflects in off a stick of the Predators, Victor Arvidsson. And we're told the Canucks have scored two more. So, yes, Vancouver is not as bad as Nashville in November. So it came down to the doubles match today between Canada and Australia at the Davis Cup. Quarterfinal action, Denis Shapovalov teamed up with Vancouver's Vosik Pospisil, who hasn't lost a singles match. Shapovalov lost his singles match. That's what made this the decider. Good work at the net by Shapovalov as Canada won the first set against Australia. Second set again, Shapovalov at the net. Pospisil serving, ace. Oh my goodness. Now for the win and a trip to the semifinals for Canada. And they're going. It'll be either Russia or Serbia against Canada in the semis on Saturday. Neither of the two starting quarterbacks in this Sunday's Grey Cup game were actually supposed to be at this spot at the beginning of the year. Well, I guess they could be at this spot, but as backups. Uh, Dane Evans was the backup in Hamilton to Jeremiah Mazzoli, who got injured. And Winnipeg's uh, Zach Kalaros is the bomber starter because of injuries as well. Sets up, takes a shot, got an open man, touchdown, Kenny Lawler. Zach Kalaros hasn't been a blue bomber very long, but he's likely the reason they are even in the Grey Cup. Kalaros was acquired six weeks ago from the Argos more as an insurance policy and they had to cash it in when starting quarterback Chris Strebler went down with an injury late in the season. All Kalaros has done since then is win all three of his starts, including two road playoff games in Calgary and Regina. Well, I didn't really know Zach too, too well, but like I said uh, last week that, you know, there's instant trust and confidence in him and 
you know, he fits in with the locker room really well. And, you know, he knew a couple of guys from, from, from past teams and stuff. So, you know, there's some familiar, familiarity with uh, some of the guys. And, uh, you know, he fit in, fit in great. So it's uh, good to have you, buddy. Thanks, buddy. Kalaros actually started the year in Saskatchewan, was hurt in the first game of the year, got dealt to the Argos where he didn't play because he was still injured. And now here he is trying to lead the Bombers to their first Grey Cup since 1990. I told my wife uh, that if I was going to end up somewhere, this is going to be a really good spot for me. Uh, you know, again, just from knowing um, Coach Roger and, and watching the offense. So um, it's been good. The NFL denied Cleveland defensive lineman Miles Garrett, Garrett's appeal for his indefinite suspension to be changed. He hit, of course, quarterback Mason Rudolph of Pittsburgh over the head with his own helmet. And they also deny Garrett's accusation that came out the other day that Rudolph set all of this off by saying something racist. The NFL said its investigation did not reveal any racial slur was said by Rudolph. What's strange is Garrett never mentioned a racial slur as the reason when he spoke to reporters right after the game. Here's your snow report for this evening. One mountain open today on this very cold, frosty day across the province. Whistler Blackcomb will open next week on November 28th. Cypress, December 14th. Grouse, Sasquatch, and Manning Park, though, still to be determined. Revelstoke, November 30th. Same for Fernie. Kicking Horse, December 6th. Big White and Silver Star will open next week on November 28th. Sun Peaks on Saturday on November 23rd. Apex, December 7th. Mount Washington still waiting to figure out their opening day. Whitewater, December 6th. Red Mountain, December 12th. And Powder King open today with a 130 centimeter base. All right, Piglet is an adorable little pink dog who is both blind and deaf, but still has a lot to offer. His very existence is a life lesson for all of us, but as you'll see, especially for children. It's easy to see this little dog named Piglet is different. He's a pink dog. What you can't see is that he's deaf and blind, rescued by vet Melissa Shapiro when he was just one pound and petrified. I didn't know what to do for him, you know, and it, he was so tiny. But Piglet wouldn't give up, so neither did Melissa. I said, if, I'm, if we are going to keep him, then he's going to have a productive, meaningful life. She started posting videos on social media, and more than 100,000 followers fell in love, including third grade teacher Trisha Frigeau, who thought maybe her students could learn something from a little pink dog. What can you take that Piglet taught you into your own life? Um, I would say I should persevere more and like I should like try harder on things. If you close your eyes, you put your hands over your ears. They call it the Piglet mindset. No matter who you are or like what disabilities you have, you could still do stuff. It's been so successful here, Piglet's lesson is now taught in schools across the country. They empathize so much with him. I mean, I want my students to grow up and be successful and be happy. But more importantly, I want them to be good people. When things get hard, put yourself in Piglet's shoes and see how that feels. You're supposed to sit and you stay. There you go. Learning life's biggest lessons, thanks to a little dog. Kristen Dahlgren, NBC News, Plainville, Massachusetts. That is pretty cute. Mm -hmm. All right, let's uh, check in with Christy Gordon once more out at Aurora at the PNE. Christy? Thank you. We found Candy Cane Lane here. Quite a beautiful scene here. And I also saw a Yeti. It's cold if you're coming down here. I recommend bundling up, but it is a good time. And it's open till the 
January 5th. Okay, back to you guys. Down at the PNE. Amazing. All right. A yeti. Thanks very much. Either a Yeti or somebody in a faux fur coat. One of the two. It's not the same guy who does Fright Nights, is it? I don't think so. A Yeti in a faux fur coat? <laughs> now that would be something. Why would a Yeti need a faux fur coat when you think about it? Fashion. Thanks for watching, everybody. <laughs> See you at the Crystal Ball Gala for BC Children's Hospital tomorrow.